0: In today's show, we're talking Boston Celtics, deep diving the fantasy value of the players on their team, and just talking about a bunch of Celtics stuff. Yeah, that's how it goes. What a bad intro, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I'm the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanduelcom slash Locked On to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. All right, it's time to talk Boston Celtics and a season look ahead for them for fantasy There will be an entry into the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Well, not not one. There'll be a lot of entries given out today. So, Warnie. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) For the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl, let's uh, just quickly up on the screen. I'm not going to go through all of the details for this um, in every episode. If you want a more detailed explanation, check out the start of the Hawks show. But there will be an entry form to get into the head-to-head division and to the points division linked in today's show. Yesterday's show, the Hawk Show, we're going to pick out 24 people, or less than 24, actually, because some of those spots are already filled for the uh, for the head-to-head uh, nine categories and for the points league one. So if you uh, you wouldn't have received an entry back yet there because I haven't gone through them. It takes about two to three days for me to get through each episode. So submit another one, and you'll see how you go. Um, you'll only end up getting one spot uh, in total across. Uh, it all head-to-heads, you can have a head-to-head head and a points. I know I'm waffling here, but just, uh, yeah, the responses for the Hawks show aren't out yet. They will take two to three days just to let the entries sift through. And that's the same here when talking about the entries for the Celtics. So we're going to be doing, um, filling two divisions for categories and one division for points after the show today. That brings us to talk about this Boston Celtics team. How do they look? How do things look schedule-wise? 53 quality games. It's a good amount. It's a very good amount, in fact. It's uh, it's right up there in terms of some of the most quality games. And that's what happens through the NBA is you get um, the better teams, as a general rule, having more of those quality games. That is the second, third highest amount of quality games behind the Suns and the Bucks and just ahead of the Lakers. So they do it. They play them on national TV days. And that's helpful. It's not a big determining factor in your draft, but it can be um, a decision that can be a tiebreaker. Because if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are playing on the low-volume days, that means they're not playing on Wednesday or Friday, meaning your bench guys have a chance to be active on those days. So while it doesn't matter that much for Tatum or for Brown, because you're going to play them whatever day it is, but if they're not playing on the high-volume days, that means somebody else can, and you get those extra games in. So they've got one of the best schedules in that respect. They're right smack bang in the middle for back-to-backs. This was, and I know that you will disagree with this, but it is fact, the only player in the NBA who routinely sat every single back-to-back for resting purposes played for the Celtics. It was Al Horford. He's the only one. He didn't have an injury. They load-managed him. He's the only one that did that all season. But what about Kawhi? Yeah, he had an ACL tear. He was returning from it. He has not a degenerative knee problem. He also did play a back-to-back, but he was coming back from an ACL tear. What about Paul George? He had a hamstring injury. He also played back-to-backs. The only person in the NBA who sat every single back-to-back for rest purposes was Al Horford. And I don't expect that's going to change this season. They have a medium amount of back-to-backs. 13, 14, 15 of the three numbers. They're at 14. They also have only, This is a new thing I'm introducing this week, is max weeks. How many weeks during the season do they play the maximum amount of games? They're at 13, so that's not the highest number. The highest number is 16, the lowest number is 12. So they're on the low side there. It's not the worst, but they're on the low side. Their playoffs, if you end on the 24th of March, they go 3-4-4. They have the most games on a playoff setting that ends 31st, which is 4-4-3. They go 4-3-4 to end on the 7th of April and 3-4-4 to finish on the 14th of April, the final day of the season. And please do not play to the final day of the season. So they don't have any 4-4-4s through those four different configurations of fantasy playoffs, which, again, I think is important to note. Um, important to note. Not that I pay huge attention to playoff schedule because I don't in my draft. Maybe, it's again, it's a marginal tiebreaker like quality games or things like that. But it is it is aware, used to it is useful to be aware of it, especially in season when making moves or trades or or waiver wire acquisitions. That's where it can become useful. Today's episode is brought to you by Fanjul Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with Fanjul, America's number one sportsbook. They said snap because you snap the ball. There you go, the tricky guys, wordsmiths. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining Fangio, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. You can use it for a wide range of betting options. You might look at the spreads of the Dolphins winning this week's Week 2 matchup. You might look at the money line of the Dolphins winning their Week 2 matchup. You might look at the over-under for Tua Tagovailoa touchdown passes. You'd want to probably go over. Don't take this as betting advice. You might look at the futures of Super Bowl winners in the Miami Dolphins. There's so many things that you can look at over on FanDuel for betting for the NFL season and for all sports, of course, but it's the NFL season that started at the moment. So visit fanduelcom slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. And just quickly, how about my man Caleb Williams? I am a USC fan. I am a Dolphins fan. Our quarterbacks are rolling. Maybe we go the tour MVP Caleb Williams Heisman combo. It's gotta be it's gotta be low odds, but you can do it all over on FanDuel. So visit fanduelcom slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Fangio, official partner of the NFL, and don't forget to gamble responsibly. Yes, I forget my buttons. All right, so what are the pressure points here? The major overarching, is that overarching or overarching? I never know what the correct word is there. I don't think it matters, but I think you get the point. Um, When we're looking at the Celtics projections, well, the number one thing we look at if we take a 10,000 foot, view, overview, we're going to have drone circling Celtics projections. The number one thing we goes, what's going to happen in the front court? Is it Al Horford next to Porzingis or is it the rock DJ? rock DJ? And you guys voted for this. We're going to do an under the lens on Rob Williams later in the show. That's the big thing because that changes a bit. It maybe doesn't change as much as you think because they're after, after those three guys, and this is a, a thing you can see again on the graphic, their depth is a problem across the board, is that after Horford, Williams, and Porzingis, who are all injury issues, for sure, and Horford is going to sit those back-to-backs again, their depth is not strong. It's Le Cornet. They just signed to a 2A Nemeus Kato who maybe can maybe can be a, a back-end sort of rotation guy. Maybe. Maybe he could be there. They've got O'Shea Brissett, but he's not really a center. He's, he's more of a, of a forward. But there is... A, I think it's not necessarily minutes where the Horford or Williams starts. It's more block opportunities because the more minutes that Porzingis and Williams play together, they play a fairly similar role defensively. And while blocks aren't necessarily 100% a finite resource, if Williams and Porzingis are maxing minutes together, they're not both going to be sitting at the rim or coming across for weak side rim protection. That's not always going to be the case. But when they're paired with Horford, he's got the ability to protect the rim, but also to deter the rim, but also to get into to the perimeter. Which these two guys don't have, and that enables them to get more blocks. So that is important. The other one that's big here is Malcolm Brogdon's injury. If Broggo is actually healthy, remember he was traded to the Clippers, and they said, uh, "I reckon your arm's rooted, buddy." So we won't be uh, we won't be going through with that trade. So good luck, and uh, well, what is it? I don't recall saying good luck. Um, that's basically what it was. So how do they repair that relationship? How do they repair his arm, which was obviously a problem during the playoffs because without him. There's no guards. Their guard depth is dreadful. It's They've already lost Marcus Smart. It's Derek White. And it's Peyton Pritchard. That's it. So if Brogdon's healthy, there's a lot of minutes there. But if Brogdon's not, well, somebody's going to have to step up. And it's probably going to have to be, I would guess, Peyton Pritchard. And that's why he's listed on the breakout candidates. Now, if you didn't hear me talk about this yesterday, when looking at breakout candidates, what, what do I mean? by a breakout candidate. It's not someone that I think that it's necessarily baked hugely into projections where I look at these guys are going to have these fantastic seasons and we all are are accounting for it already. It's more like when I'm looking at a guy and I'm considering them in a draft or a deeper format or whatever, I "Ah, I can see how things can really go big here for this guy. And that is where we are with Pritchard because after Derek White and Brogdon Jalen Brown's a guard, sure, no problem. But if they ever go and play Tatum 4, Brown 3, there's there's no guards here. Oops, as I knock over Dennis Robin, there's no guards on this team. So if Brogdon is hurt, well, it's going to be White and it's going to be Pritchard. Now, Pritchard's already 25, 26. He's a good shooter. He's got an okay fantasy game. But there is a chance here with Brogdon, who has missed a lot of time. And honestly, Derek White has missed a lot of time as well. I know he played 82 games. Doesn't matter. He has missed a lot of time. Their depth is very thin. So there is a chance there. And then at forward, well, there's no one there either. There's Sammy Hauser. Could he be a breakout guy? Because we all know that at some point, knock on wood, Jason Tatum will get hurt. It it will happen at some point. I don't want it to happen, but it will happen at some point. And at the moment, they're going to have um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum playing the two and the three. And if Tatum goes down, there is O'Shea Brissett, second-round pick Jordan Walsh, or there's 40% three-point shooter Sam Hauser. This is what I talk about, a lack of depth. Like He might be their seventh or eighth man, Hauser, and all it takes is an extended absence for Porzingis, an injury for Tatum, or just the fact that he has to play 20 minutes a night anyway. So they're not guys that I'd be looking at in 12-team leagues, not at all. But when we're talking deeper formats, both of these guys are going to be part of the rotation. And they're going to be someone that we need to at least have in our mind that they are the seventh or eighth men on this team. Is that let me actually count that out. Four, five, six, seven. They've got Pritchard as the eighth guy. Hauser is the ninth guy in this rotation. Teams will run minimum nine in the regular season, nearly every team runs a 10-man rotation. Despite what NBA media always tells you, coaches, they always run a nine-man rotation. They don't. They don't. Let's say 90%, made up number, but around that number, 90% of NBA coaches in the regular season run a 10-man rotation. You might have one or two that run a nine, and you might have one or two that run uh, run an 11. That's usually like a Memphis or an OKC or someone like that. It's 10. Everyone runs a 10. That's how it works. Tom Thibodeau went to a nine last season. He was one of those. Even Nick Nurse ran a 10 most of the time. The, the fact that like eight through 10 played four minutes a game is not the, not the point here. So, all this is to say that both Pritchard and Hauser, they're going to have to play. And there's an opportunity for them in deeper leagues. It's time to go under the lens with The Rock DJ, Robbie Williams, because he was a very interesting player last season who, I, there's a lot of ways to approach this. There are there are going to be people who watch this show who say, Josh, man, you slobbed over this guy all season. You had him ranked as a second round guy. You, were, yeah, you sold us a false bill of goods, which is, I think, blatantly untrue. Because I got into many arguments with people who would flat out, till they're blue in the face, tell me, that it was better to have Luke, uh, Robert Williams in a category league than it was Luka Doncic, because look at their rankings. I said, this is just insane. You don't want to do that. that. That's just not how you win leagues. And Rob Williams, I think I had around in the 40s, but then he had the knee surgery. And I went, oh, no, we're not doing this. We're not drafting a knee surgery player who will be back in December, early January. And I said, anywhere outside triple digits is where you take him. So that was my approach with him. And then when he came back, I preached a level of caution. His numbers weren't that different to where he was the year before, despite people protesting and claiming how trash he was. He was not super great. 24 minutes, 8 points, 8 rebounds, 1.4 blocks, 75 from the field. But the reason that you loved Robert Williams, if you did love him, was he blocked shots. 1.4 is pretty good. He had an insane field goal. 75% is crazy. And he got some good rebounds, 8.3. Now, a lot of those other numbers dropped away, but you're never relying upon Rob to do those things. He sort of did the things that you wanted him to do. He finished 132nd in Yahoo Points Leagues. He's never a good Points League guy. 125th in ESPN Points Leagues. And in minus one head-to-head category rankings per game, 73rd. Which, if you picked him around 100, was not a bad result given the issues that he had. But part of the problem is is just the, the, lack of, um, the lack of games. But encouragingly, as you can see on this graph that's up on the screen, which is minutes played per week, you see he very rarely playing at the start of the year. It went up and up and up. He copped a little bit of an injury there towards week 21 to week 22 and then dropped off a little bit towards the end. But an encouraging increase. And those 23 and a half minutes that he played last season, I don't think it's realistic to think he's playing that few. I think he's got to push to 27, 28. Whether he starts or not, look, if I was the Celtics, and I'm not, if I was them, I wouldn't because I just think that Porzingis and Williams' game is too similar in terms of defensively. Yeah, Porzingis can shoot and Williams is, plays closer to the rim. I know all that. Well, you got to preserve Al Horford. Um, you can also preserve Al Horford by, keep, by starting him. You don't have to play starters 38 minutes a night or 30. You don't have to do that. But I just think the pairing of Horford and Williams and Horford and Paul Zingas works better than Paul Zingas and Williams together because they both should be these guys who are more playing drop and playing as an anchor big or or protecting the rim versus having to switch out into the perimeter, which is what Horford can do. In saying all that, those 23 and a half minutes. It's very easy to find 29 for Rob if he's able to be healthy, irrespective of the configuration of the starting group. So those minutes came back from knee surgery. It was a slow roll. It improved, and we hope it continues to improve. But given his history of knee problems, foot problems, and his size, we're always going to have a level of skepticism. His big thing, his big category, his best category last season was his field goal percentage. And as you can see, again, this is one of those things where I will bang on about this, and I will continue to do it, because I do want it to, to really um, uh, sort of soak into everybody's brain about the impact of... Um, values and Z-scores and rankings is that we look at his field goal percentage and we think how good it is and, and all that sort of stuff. But look at that fluctuation. 78, 67, 86, 58, 73, 81, 83, 64, 77, 75, 65, 78. So when someone says, well, Rob Williams, he, he wins your field goal percentage on his own. Pro- people probably don't say that but they say it for many other things. Or they'll say someone loses you something on their own a week. And that is, is bullshit. It's it's not true. Look at these fluctuations. This is my focus a lot this season, is to try and figure out weekly variants of individual categories per player, per position, as a general whole, to see how we look at things in that lens. But that is, that is a wild, and over the course of the season, he shot 74%. Roto Leagues, you know that you got 74% and you can expect that. But on a game-by-game, week-by-week basis, there is a pretty large change in what happens. Same with blocks. Look at this blocks graph. Again, it's it's all over the place. Good shot blocker. Some weeks won. In fact, I, I apologize to Dylan Brooks and Jay Crowder, but... sometimes times may be good, Sometimes it may be shit. Some good weeks. A six-block week, a five-block week, a five-block week, a six-block week. But then two, two, five, four, two, three, four, one, one. Like zero, zero. Blocks are a weird stat. They're a cluster stat. They're a chunk stat that it can be really hard to have that reliability on them every week. And Williams was no different. Now, part of that was coming back from injury, for sure, and gaining his footing. But just another illustration of the way this works. He he obviously struggled as this as the season started. He had some moments, but this is the graph of his minus one weekly rank based on totals, and it does improve as the season went on. It does jump back up at the top there. That was when he missed some time, so obviously that hurt. But you could see the gradual improvements coming as a general trend line for Rob Williams for his um for his minus one rank. So he did improve. I. I am a little worried about this next one, which is his Darko DPM change, which gives you an idea. It's basically, for those of you who are into maths, when you look at the Darko graph of actual DPM, is when you look at it and the the degree of slope, that's what DPM change is. What is the the, the slope coefficient? And you'll notice here that Rob Williams started off his career really strong with with a really good positive slope. And that positive slope, so anything above that line is a positive slope. So it means it's still improving. But you'll see the rate of change has gone down and down and down. And then last season, it actually started to turn where he started becoming a guy that was regressing a little bit. Now, he's not at that age 29 where a lot of regression starts, but things were flipping. And I'm going to, at this point, chalk that up just to an injury concern, but it is something to watch. The last thing on Rob Williams is I want to look at this, this graph here because this is the three bigs. It's Rob Williams, it's Al Horford, and it's Kristaps Porzingis, who of course played for the Wizards last season. just On the bottom of that graph is the rim protection percentile. On the y-axis, it's perimeter isolation defense percentile. Now that's not it's not foolproof. There's so many different metrics over a basketball index, but I thought what what was illustrative here was showing that this yes, that. X-axis goes 86 to 98 in terms of rim protection percentile. Paul Zingas, one of the best at protecting the rim. Rob Williams, pretty good, 86 percentile. Al Horford, 92 percent, right in the middle. But the difference that Horford was in the 80th percentile in guarding on the perimeter, Rob Williams was 20th and Paul was like three. They both struggle out there. Now, all of these guys can protect the rim. Paul the best. But only one of them can really get out and guard the perimeter which again leads me to that concern about how much Rob and Porzingis can play together. There was, I had that idea in my head. It was a subjective thought. It was an eye test. And then I went and dug into it and went, eh, I don't know, that's not looking great. That's not looking great. If both of these guys suck, if they get switched and they're on the court together, well, that, that is going to lead, I think, to, to some level of issue. Let's talk sleepers. Um, In saying all of that, I do think that Rob Williams is a little bit of a sleeper, but as a general rule, the Celtics being a very public team, and by that, I mean, they get an outsized amount of coverage from um, national media, ESPN, Bleacher Report, uh, social media accounts. Everyone talks about the Celtics. So, the valuation of their guys is maybe not as under underappreciated as what it could be. So it's harder to find really good sleepers on this squad. So what just happened there? My camera just dropped out. Um, it is hard to find those guys. I think Rob, though, is a little bit of a sleeper in certain situations. I've listed all of his data there. He's ranked 84th on Yahoo. He's got an ADP of 95, he's ranked in some of the ESPN stuff's insane. The one where I really see some value for Rob, he's got an ADP on Yahoo at 95, and he's got an ADP on Fantrax at 104. Now, I'm not here to tell you that Rob Williams is going to be a top 50 player. I'm here to suggest that he could be. So when I'm getting him at 95 or 104, I love that. Him ranked at 84, it doesn't provide massive value, especially in points leagues, it doesn't give any value. He's ranked at 54 in ESPN Point Seas, which is the biggest stay away I've ever seen in my life. There is absolutely no chance that I would want him in that spot. And the way that I just said in my life, have you, i sure I tweeted this out, have you seen that guy, that American actor, was it Brian Alvarez, I think it is? Brian Jordan Alvarez, who's doing the Australian accent about lifting. Oh, heaps is my life. And I just sounded exactly like him. And I realized that his Australian accent is better than mine. There's no way that Rob Williams I'm looking at as being anything close to even a top 70 ESPN points league guy. So the rank him at 54 is egregious and you shouldn't touch it. His ADP on ESPN is 75, right? That, even that's not great value given the uncertainty around role and injury. But if you're getting him at 95 on, on Yahoo, if you're getting him at outside 100 on fan tracks, I I do like that. And then trying to find the next sleeper, not much, not much. Peyton Pritchard. He's got a rank on Yahoo of 376. He doesn't have an ADP on Yahoo or on Fantrax. He doesn't have a rank on ESPN 9Cat or Points, and his ESPN ADP is 140. So basically, he's free everywhere. He should be drafted in, at the very least, 16 team leagues. At the very least. Does that sound outrageous? Maybe a little bit, but if Brogdon's not ready to go, he might get... He might play Brogdon's role and play 27 minutes a night to begin the season. He might not, but that's what we're searching for in those deep performance. You don't draft him in 12. You don't draft him in 14. You definitely do in 20, and you do in 18, and you probably do in 16. But the fact that he's not listed anywhere and that he's ranked outside the top 370 suggests that even a 30-team league, you might be struggling to draft him, which is just obviously ridiculous. So we need to have a look at Peyton Pritchard there. And that will transition in me to the secret question for the Celtics and their um, entry into the locked on fantasy basketball Bowl. Secret question. In that secret question part of the form, all I want you to do is write the number. Don't have to write it as spiel just makes it harder for me to correct it. Just write the number. Then the question is, what is Peyton Pritchard ranked on Yahoo? And that answer is 376. So just write in that box, Three seven six. That'll bring us to talk about some busts and you're probably going to be a little bit surprised when I tell you that someone I think might be a bust. Maximum Derek. <clears throat> I love Derek White. I have for a long time. Some people over over exaggerate what I think of Derek White. I think he's a very good player who has been underused at times in his career. People finally cottoned on to how good he was last season and I think that there is some misconceptions about him. Like, I have this, I reckon at least once a week, maybe more, someone says, man, what do you think of Derek White and his new role starting? He started 70 games last season. He was a starter all of last season. Now, the difference is, last season he started more at the two, or you could say a hybrid one-two next to Marcus Smart, and this season he's, he's not. He's starting as the pure point guard, and that does help, and he probably plays a couple of extra minutes. But I wouldn't feel supremely confident about Derek White playing 82 games. And if you're going to use someone played 82 games last season as an indicator for their value moving forward, I think you're going to have a really bad time. So I worry that that rank of 63 on Yahoo, which is obviously for points and for categories, is too high. His ADP at 72 is maybe even pushing too high. Fantrax has got him at 75, which it's maybe a little too high. I'll tell you now that the Durant metric doesn't really love him and the minus one rank for him, is quite quite solid across the board, but the minus one stuff doesn't love him either. It's got him like outside the top 100 when you're talking from a strictly head-to-head perspective. Part of that reason is, is while he might be now the point guard starting, the change is, he was starting. The change is that Christos Pulzingas comes in to replace Marcus Smart. And one of those guys, Porzingis, is going to take a lot more shots. So then you're relying upon Derek White to bring you value through assists and getting way more steals and blocks. And maybe he does, but does he actually do that enough for that to matter? He doesn't just take on Smart's role because Porzingis takes on more of that usage. So people are losing out. So I worry that people are going to go too high. Now, on ESPN, he's ranked 135 for categories, 112 for points, and he's got an ADP of 119. He is 100% not a bust on ESPN. Around 100, not, not a problem with that at all. Even if you wanted to go 80, 90, I, I get it. So I just think that that 63 is too high, and that 70's ADP is pushing it. It's not It's not egregious, but it's pushing it. But on ESPN, go at it, love it, no problem. Al Horford is another one who is definitely a bust. Now, I don't imagine there are many people who are watching this show who are going to be fiending to draft Al Horford. I don't think that's going to happen. He's ranked 123 on Yahoo with an ADP of 124. That is round 11. You go past 120. If you can't even Merkley squint to give me top 100 value, I don't want to touch it. There's no way... I want Al Horford six points a game. He's resting back-to-backs. He's 37-year-old ass who just also got another center into that rotation. Oh, but Josh, he's so efficient. It, it Honestly, it doesn't matter at that point. It's a waste. If you're in a 14-team league, sure, because round four, or sorry, round four, round 10 then becomes uh, pick 141 onwards. Or so round 11. So it does change a little bit. But still, like... I'm not taking him at 120. ESPN's got him ranked for 9K at 95. Ridiculous. Uh, points leagues at 124. Less ridiculous, but still not great with an ADP of 130. The only one i go, okay, it's reasonable. With Fantrax sits his ADP at 146. I think he's about that guy, 150th. Which, if I might pick 150th, this is the last round, second last round. I'm not wasting on an Al Horford, as much as I love the bloke. As much as I think he's a good, very good player. I'm not wasting a fantasy pick on him there. Because if I miss out on him, and take someone else who's got high ups so and they don't pan out, what am I actually missing out on Al Horford? Is he going to Brooke Lopez and have a career renaissance? Maybe. Maybe he goes off and starts scoring 18 a game. It's it's not going to happen. But yeah, there is outside chances of anything happening. I've got no interest in Al at all around any of these marks. In a 12-team league, I believe, and I will always be in the minority in this, he's completely undraftable in a 12-team league. The same goes for Harrison Barnes. The same goes for someone like Kevin Herter. Like, why would you draft them? There's no upside in those picks. You can use them. They can be rosterable at times, but they're not draftable. And that's where I sit on the big fella, Al Horford. They do have a couple of injuries to look at coming into the season, which we get some more info on through preseason and training camp. That's Brogdon's elbow. Is it actually that bad? Is he going to play? And if he's not, well, as I said, Peyton Pritchard threw the roof or at least somewhat through the roof. And the other one is the bloke who pulled out of the um, World Cup, and that's just Plantar fasciitis scares us. Rightfully so, it can be a frustrating injury. He did have like two months here to be able to rest it and to be able to hopefully get back in shape. He was pretty good last season injury-wise. People are never going to be missing 30 games every single season as a general rule. You will find guys and the games played fluctuate, absolutely no doubt about that. My bigger worry for Porzingis is how he fits here, going from a number two option, who was a number one, who was the Wizards' best player last season, to being the third guy here. Now, you could argue, maybe you're right, that he is a better player than Jalen Brown. You could argue that. I I wouldn't oppose your argument. But it doesn't mean he's going to be second in the offensive pecking order. And I don't think he's going to be taking bulk shots away from Tatum or even bulk shots away from Brown. He's going to come in as the third offensive guy, and he's going to lose quite a bit uh, of, of value overall. I still think he's really strong as a fourth round guy, which you can get him in an ESPN at the well, actually ESPN's more third round. A Yahoo's a fourth round sort of a player. I think he's totally okay there. But we have some worry about the plantar fascia issue. Now he was getting drafted in the 50s, and I was all over it last season. That was one I loved. And he returned top 20 numbers. Last season I loved it because I said he can very easily be top 20. This season I don't think he can be. It's going to take a Brown or Tatum injury, which is possible, for him to get there add the injury concern to us on, and I'm just not super targeting him round four, hoping that he's a top 20 upside player if he's healthy. Because that was the argument on him last season. And it's a different scenario now. Not only is there the Rob Williams fit, there's the Brown and Tatum situation and his own injury. Too many question marks for me to get particularly excited about him. What about what could happen as a trade? Well, they've already done it once, so would they trade Malcolm Brogdon again? I would have to say that he would be the the ideal guy that if they can't mend that relationship, can they move him away? But also remember, if they do trade him, if he is the guy they trade, they have no guards and they need to get someone back. And that's what they would need, an actual point guard. Where do they get that? I don't. I don't really know. Because Derek White is very good. He's solid enough as a point guard. He's probably best as a combo guard. But the lack of passing on this team, this bad passer. Tatum not bad, but not great. Jalen Brown, bad. Derek White, pretty good. Brogdon, pretty good. These are all better players who work as secondary creators and not primary initiators. Rob Williams, good passer for his position. Al Horford, good passer for his position. They're all like, okay, but there's no guy who's like, wow, I'm just going to set everything up and get everything sorted. So if they are trading Brogdon, I would imagine they would get another point guard back, which of course would really hurt some of Derek White's value, but they also need some forwards. As I said, like the forward coming off the bench is Sam Hauser. And I don't think you'd feel... Supr- Hauser's fine, good shooter. I don't think you feel supremely confident in that. Contract year boosts are fake, but let's have a look at who's coming out of contract. Peyton Pritchard's a restricted free agent and Luke Cornett's an unrestricted free agent. Go and draft Luke Cornett for your uh, contract year bump. I mean, don't. Uh, Pritchard's an interesting one. Again, is he going to get, get increased production because he's in a contract year, or because they have no other guards? I think it's the latter, yeah? It's why context is always important with these things. He'll be very interesting to watch. He's got an interesting fantasy game and we'll see how it plays out. So what are some risks? What if there is a Brogdon and White timeshare? What if they want to prioritize Williams, Horford, Porzingis getting those frontcourt minutes, meaning Tatum can't play the four that much, meaning Brown can't play the three that much, meaning that there is just very few minutes for White and Brogdon in general. That's another reason why, hmm, if Brogdon's healthy, like White really can only go down. Brogdon's more of a later round player. Can Williams and Porzingis play together? Because if they can't, well, Williams is going to hurt a lot. And all that talk of me thinking he's a sleeper if he doesn't come to fruition, if that doesn't work with them playing together and the only time you're hoping it is when Horford is out or Porzingis is out, well, that loses a lot of value there. So that's that's a huge question. And then can, can Svee Mihailuka actually crack in? Now, I said that they don't have many guards, and they don't, but they did just sign Svee. He had a really good stretch on the tanking Hornets last season. Could he be better than Peyton Pritchard? He's better than Delano Banton, I know that. Could he work into that role and take some of those Sam Howser minutes, especially if like Brogdon's hurt? That's one to at least to at least keep an eye on for for deeper formats. Permanent monsters. Are, there's no one on this team who, when you look at their per thirty-six numbers, you go, "Well, if only." It used to be Rob Williams, but some of that is that's sort of toned back down. He's still pretty good, but he's not gigantically different. There's no one that's sort of waiting in the wings as this big per-36 monster. And that brings us to the depth chart. You know that I'm doing this guards, wings, forwards, bigs. I think they're going to start one guard, and that's Derek White. And then the depth chart there is Brogdon, Pritchard. They can they can very easily play White and Brogdon together, White and Pritchard, Brogdon and Pritchard together. But there's those three guys who are there. And then it's nothing. There's Delano Banton, who I, I don't really think is an NBA rotation player. There's old mate Jay Scrub on a two-way, and there's JD Davison on a two-way. I think Davison might be able to turn into a backup point guard, might. White is obviously a draftable player. We talked about him at length earlier. Brogdon is too, but it's late rounds. It's like outside the hundreds, I would say. And he has a chance of beating it, but there's a lot of uncertainty there. In terms of actual wings, and the way that I define wings is you're either a small forward exclusively, or you're a shooting guard slash small forward. And to me, that's really Jalen Brown. JB, you've done it again. <laughs> Brown will never play point guard. He won't ever play power forward, really. He's going to be like the two of the three. We know that there was a lot of um, focus on his lack of dribbling, his lack of left hand, on his gigantic contract. But the fact remains, he's still a really good player. I don't really know, though, when we're going to dig into it. Like, how or what does he do to get better this season? He's just a solid fourth-round player that if you wanted to take at the end of the third round in category leagues, go for it. If you're in a points league, you're probably looking mid-third round Yahoo points. Where's the ESPN points? He's around yeah that mid-third round area in ESPN as well. And I don't see much upside in it. I don't see much downside in it. It just seems all right. Brown last season averaged 26.5 points, 2.5 7 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.4 blocks. 49 and 77. Now, I guess the thing is that he could be an 81% free throw shooter. That could bump it. We're, what, seven years, eight years in, and it's never happened. Could he be a better passer? Well, I reckon that ship sailed. And last season, he had 31% usage. And I'm going to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure I've got him projected at lower usage than that this season. Yeah, I do. I've got him under 30 because of the arrival of Porzingis. So, I think he sort of sits in that fourth-round range without much else happening. And then I think Svee is, is the backup wing there. But remember, they can, instead of using a, a wing, they can throw a Brogdon and uh, in, in play two guards. Yeah, starting lineups can have two guards. They can have two wings. They can have two forwards. They can have three forwards. They can have three wings. They can have two bigs. There's lots of different configurations with lineups and rotations out there. So while I've got Mahe, Mahe Luke as the backup wing, that doesn't mean that every time that Jalen Brown comes off the court, he's replaced by Mahe Luke. because you could go and actually not have a wing out there and play two guards a lot of the time, which they will with White and Brogdon. And then you have a forward like Tatum, who I guess you could count Jason Tatum as a wing, but the fact that he doesn't ever play at the two and he plays like 50% three, 50% four, they're both forward positions, so I'm going to count him as a forward. So they're going to start him as a forward. Tatum is a guy that in his career has been remarkably healthy. On a per game fantasy basis, he never lives up to the overall total ranks that he provides, and that is always, in my mind, a risky thing to bank on. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong. If you want to look at Jason Tatum and say he's fourth by totals, I'm going to pick him at pick four because he doesn't get hurt, right? I disagree with your logic on it because you can't guarantee that he's not going to get hurt. But I also think that if you take him at four, it doesn't hurt you if his per game is 10th. It's, it's actually okay. It's not an absolute disaster. You're aware of that. Now, I guess the problem is taking him at four there's no upside in that. He doesn't get better than that. He's only going, if he does get hurt, well, it is going to cost you a little bit there. And why is he not considered this great fantasy guy? Well, he's sort of like average across the board and he can hurt you in field goals. His free throws are really strong, good attempts. His assists might rise this season. That's something to watch. But what does he lose a little bit of usage with Porzingis arriving? He's not a Steals guy. He's a good scorer. His field goal percentage is high volume and low, like low-ish like percentage. Like he's, he's good. He's good. But like minus one, which is more of an idea of head-to-head value, it puts him at like 12th for me in projections this season. It's back end first, yeah? But he's going to go top five, top six because health. People think that he's healthy and he will always be healthy. And that's not how injuries work. So we'll see how all of that goes. And I worry that there is, on top of that, on top of that, is there a one-shot, a one-and-a-half-shot reduction because of the arrival of Pusingas? Sam Hauser, I would guess, would be his primary backup. Might play 20 minutes a night, might hit two-and-a-half threes a game, and might be one of those guys that you can stream in and feel okay about for threes. I mean, he's not going to do anything else. He never gets the line. He's a bad shooter there. He doesn't get defensive stats or assists or rebounds, but he'll hit two threes, I'm guessing. And there's Jordan Walsh, a second-round pick, who played well in Summer League, but I always would preach caution. That team had nobody on it. So he was forced into a larger role that he's never going to have a chance of doing with the Celtics. Rookies on good teams rarely do anything, let alone second round rookies who can't shoot. So don't expect Walsh to be a big part of the rotation ever this season, but especially early on. I would think that Hauser gets first crack, but even if Walsh does get a crack, they're not going to be like, man, Jordan Walsh is here 30 minutes a night. Let's go. I, I would, I think he's an excellent defender I worry that could he follow the path of other excellent defenders like Isaac Okoro, who can't shoot and become hard to play? I just don't think there's going to be a huge role there. And I've also got a Shea Brissett who showed flashes of shooting at one point, but has really struggled since then. I don't think he's a super strong option. He's okay to use. He's more of a four than a three, but at a stretch, he can play the three. But he's nice little depth there. And the bigs. I do think that the best option for them is starting Horford and Porzingis, I don't know that they will, and there's Rob Williams, so there's those three guys who are very clearly going to get bulk of those minutes, then there's Luke Cornett, and also like an hour ago, they signed Nemeas Cater to a two-way contract, so he'll be in there as the fifth big man, some of these guys like um, Cater, can't play anything apart from center, they can't play next to like a Rob Williams at all, but you know, Porzingis and Williams, theoretically, Porzingis and Spacey might help. Horford can play with any of them. And Cornette can play together with any of them as well. So there is some ability there. They can also just go with one big, whether it's Porzingis or Williams or Al, and put Tatum at the four and play Brogdon and Smart, uh, Brogdon and um, White together with Jalen Brown at the three. That's another way that they can go ahead and do that. A quick look at my Durant and Bazemore metrics. Durant really did bump Rob Williams up, which I was a little bit surprised at, which gives a little bit more credence to my, hey, look, if he's at 100, like uh, if it works out, there's a good bit of value here. And it also really liked Sam Hauser, which was a surprise to me. So just keep an eye on Hauser. Does he get minutes over Luke? Does he get him over Brissett and Walsh? I think he will. I think he'll get first crack at it. And maybe he gives you enough threes to matter. And then I looked at, um, I don't know why they right puzzing there. I don't know where the IS is in Pusingas. For Bazemore, which is my dynasty metric, which is going to be able to be tweaked for rebuilding and for contending. This is sort of trying to thread the needle, which is a bad idea, but I don't know how else to present it. Um, Horford's outside the top 350. Puzingas is outside the top 30. And Jalen Brown's outside the top 50 in my dynasty ranks. This is for category leagues. Again, there's a little bit of like, what's he improving on? He's been in the league a while. Some younger players jump ahead. Well, Jordan Walsh didn't didn't love him, but rookies again will be a little bit harder to assess in that setting, but I've got him outside the top 280 because you do have to weigh immediate production in there as well. And I don't think he's going to get much immediate production. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Don't forget, enter the locked on fantasy basketball bowl as well. The form is in the sheet. It's in the sheet. The form is in the description and in the show notes guys, We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.